0: You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number seven. So seven. Life is a tragedy when you see it close up, but a comedy is a long shot. Charlie Chaplin. audiobook. If you want to order it, just head over to www.filmbizbook.com. That's filmbizbook.com. Now today on the show, we have Steve Kaplan. Steve is the author of The Hidden Tools of Comedy and The Comic Hero's Journey, a serious story structure for fabulously funny films. Steve's been in the business for decades and is one of the most renowned comedy consultants In the business, he's worked with companies like HBO, DreamWorks, Disney, Sony Pictures, and many, many more. He is a very sought after private consultant and coach and has performed comedy intensive workshops around the world in London, Toronto, Athens, Paris, Tel Aviv, Sydney, New Zealand, and many, many more places. He gets around, let's just put it that way. Now, this episode is fairly epic. Steve and I get deep into the weeds of what is funny, what makes stories funny, what writers can do to make their stories funnier, even if you're not writing a specific comedy, what you can do to certain characters, certain plots, uh, certain scenes or, you know, situations that can help your story. Have little touches of comedy even uh, if you're not just writing a full-blown comedy, and we really break things down a lot in this episode. So if you want to know about funny, this is the episode for you. So without any further ado, please enjoy my funny conversation with Steve Kaplan. I'd like to welcome to the show Steve Kaplan, man. Thank you so much for jumping on the show today. My pleasure. Thank you, man. I've been I've been wanting to get you on the show for a long time. And as you've, like I said earlier off, 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 off air, it's like I've seen your work fly through my feed so many times and it's just like, I gotta reach out to Steve one of these days. I gotta reach out to Steve one of these days. Just everything got caught up, but I finally have you here to talk comedy. We're both excited. <laughs> Good. So you have a, uh, a a long and illustrious career in uh, in the business. How did you get started in the business?
1: Uh, I started out as a um, as a bad actor or mediocre actor, okay, uh, and and a uh, and a kind of a frustrated comic. Uh, I was, I was not very good as a comic places asked me never to come back, like <laughs> not even as a customer. Uh, and, uh, and I was, uh, I, I had two friends who were actors and I had started doing some directing and they, uh, they said, well, you know, we can't get, uh, we want to control our own careers. So, uh, we want to start a theater company in, in New York. Mm-hmm. And I said, great, let me think about it for a second. So I came back to a meeting with them and I said, let's do something that no one else is doing. Everybody else does, you know, serious theater and they do productions of Chekhov uh, in turtlenecks and, uh, and uh, expressionistic abstract plays. And I said, let's let's be different. Let's do comedy. Let's be a theater company that's devoted only to comedy. And um, and they thought about it for a second and they they realized that it uh, at the time in New York, it, it kind of. <laughs> a niche that no one else was filling, so we started this uh, this theater company. We called it Manhattan Punchline. Uh, it wasn't a comedy club. It we did plays, we did, uh, but we did stand up nights, we did improv, and a lot of great people came out of it. Um, uh, uh, we had uh, David Crane, who went on to do a little thing called Friends, yeah. <laughs> and um, uh, Oliver Platt, who's a great actor, and. Um, uh, uh, we had people who later went on uh, like Steve Scrovan and, and uh, David Fury. They later went on to become executive producers in television. Um, uh, Michael Patrick King, who uh, did Sex in the City and Two Broke Girls. He was the he was in our improv group. Uh, so a lot of great people came out of it. And as as a young man in the arrogance of youth, I thought I knew everything there was to know about comedy. Of course, uh, I was I was fascinated by comedy as a kid. Um uh, I, I watched all the old uh, uh, Bing Crosby, Bob Hope Road movies, um, St- Laurel and Hardy, all, you know, Abbott and Costello. I thought I knew everything there was to know about comedy. But after producing and directing for a couple of years, I thought to myself, OK, I don't know everything, but I know <laughs> it's not funny. goddammit." damn it. Uh, And shortly thereafter, I thought to myself. How the frick does this stuff work? Mm-hmm. Why is something funny on a Thursday? No longer funny on a Sunday. Why is why is a, a a script sometimes the funniest the first time you get some actors around a table to read it, and after that, as when you're working on it, the more you work on it, the more you rehearse it, the less funny it becomes. So I uh, so what was going on? So I started doing uh, experiments. I started I was teaching an improv class to actors, and I started creating and designing improv games and exercises to try to understand what comedy is, why it works, what's happening when it doesn't work, and how can you fix it? And and out of that 25-year um, exploration uh, uh, came this book, uh, The Hidden Tools of Comedy. Um, and uh, I, I did that because when I came to Los Angeles, uh, a, a guy who had been working with Robert McKee— now, mm-hmm. you, Sure, you, of course. Yeah. You know, right story of course yeah yes yeah, story and he said to me he said you know you can do for comedy what Robert McKee does for story and I thought oh that's interesting because up to then I had just been a theater director I'd worked with actors I had taught acting uh, and improv and so then I started to work with writers and and do workshops for writers and that kind of uh, snowball and and pretty soon I was being flown out to Singapore to london to new york to uh to australia and uh and pretty soon i'm traveling around the world and uh and doing comedy and it all came out of the fact uh that i was this frustrated performer uh who tried to get his class to laugh unsuccessfully <laughs> I, I i was you know most people are class clowns i was a failed class clown okay. and <laughs> well you know uh, and
0: no, no no, no, it's interesting that you say that because I, I you know I find it that there are people who are innately funny, like they could just you throw them in front of a room and they could just make the crowd laugh. and then there's people who can write funny, but you throw them in front of a crowd, they just they, they just won't be able to do it and and sometimes you and then sometimes you get the magic of both. You get someone who's right. an amazing writer and an amazing performer. Um, but it sounds like you were more of the writing style as opposed to actually,
1: actually, I was, I was more of the, if you get me in a room, um, at a party, uh, put a couple of drinks in me, maybe, uh, (laughs) you know, maybe a cigarette or two, you know, (laughs) um, and, and I can be pretty funny, but, but it was, uh, getting up in front of, uh, strangers and, Mm. and writing material. So what I found was my, my skill or, or my, Uh, My gift was was not in creating material, uh, but in working on other people's material. And that's that that's why I was a good director. And I became a very and I am a very uh, uh, accomplished uh, story analyst and story consultant. So I do a lot of script consulting uh, for writers and, and and producers and production companies.
0: You know what? When I, uh, when, I, when when analyzing comedy, because I'm, I'm I love comedies. I've been I follow comedies online. I, I and you know even every every part of the kind of work I do as a director or as a writer. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. I always have some sort of comedic element into it. It's just it's in, in, innate in me, um, and I've been. Fortunate or unfortunate to know many stand-up comics in my lifetime, <laughs> and worked with many stand-up comics over the years, um, which are generally the saddest people. <laughs>
1: they are. They are. They are dark, broken, broken people. Uh, Ray Romano once said that if he had been hugged once as a child, he'd be an accountant. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and and they're you know they're filling uh, they're you know even more than than actors. Uh, comics are trying to fill an uh, uh, an unfillable hole that can never be mm-hmm. never be completed. Um, doesn't doesn't mean that every uh, comic uh, is is depressed or has to be depressed. No. Uh, but um, well adjusted uh, people do not go into stand up comedy.
0: <laughs> Amen, sir. Amen. Um, So, no. What I what I find funny is like growing up in the you know I'm an '80s kid, uh, and I you know a lot of the comedies from the '80s and even from the '70s, the Mel Brooks stuff, uh, Spaceballs, Blazing Saddles, Silent Movie, um, History of the World. Some of that stuff still stick. Like Young Frankenstein, you can watch
1: Young Frankenstein today, and it holds. It holds. Young Frankenstein uh, holds up. High anxiety does not correct. Yeah, there's certain there's certain things that do. So, in your opinion, why? And, and I think the difference is, uh, Young Frankenstein, even though it's full of gags, mm-hmm. is about a, is a story yes. about a guy mm-hmm. uh, trying to create uh, a, a relationship and and trying to figure out his place in the world. Whereas High Anxiety is simply a series of parodies on Hitchcock. Right. with uh with a disposable story that you that you you know if you think about it, you can't really believe in it you don't really believe in the relationship right. so to me comedy that that sustains and that that uh that holds up over time, even if it's as silly as airplane oh, is always so a, is always about characters in crisis uh as opposed to scary movie four which <laughs> has which has as many gags per minute as airplane does but you don't care about those characters you're you're they never ask you to take them seriously they never ask you to care about them to empathize with them so that's to me that's the big difference
0: airplane is 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 uh, it's on my top top 10 comedies of all time i mean it's just just a brilliant thing and those kind of films though they they do hold over time it's like like you watch even uh some like it hot you watch some like it hot And and that thing is like it's like a Swiss Swiss clock. It is just hitting boom and a boom and a boom. And it's and it holds. And how old is that? That was from the fifties? It's in the 50s, yeah. Yeah. So that I mean that movie is over half a you know a decade. Oh not decade, half a century old. And and it still holds. Hey, hey, hey,
1: don't be ageist. Hey, 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 hey. Okay, okay.
0: okay. No, no. No, but it's still, no, but like, you know, because it's a lot it's 50 of th- years young. Obviously, obviously, yeah. but, but the, there's a lot of things that even from the nineties don't hold. Um, and from the oh. in early two thousands that were, might, might've made a noise when it came out, but you go back and watch it now, you're just like, uh, like Borat, which I still find, I couldn't believe Borat was made. I went back and watched it a little bit. It doesn't, I mean, I know all the jokes coming, so it doesn't hold as much as it did when it first came out. Um, you know, when it did in that kind of comedy, but it was very, it's just very interesting what makes things hold and what doesn't make, you know, and, and you're saying it's more story and character.
1: It's character. Uh, it's, it's a, it's the great combination of character premise and theme Mm -hmm. so that, so that even something as silly as airplane again Mm -hmm. has all those three things. Whereas, um, you know, uh Deuce Bigelow, American Gigolo does not. <laughs> right. uh, for me, uh when when people ask me what's my favorite comedy, uh I, I I have many favorites. Uh it's like asking what's your favorite kid. But for me, one of my favorite comedies of all time is Groundhog Day because oh, I think it's so it's an amazing combination of of comedy, you know, just pure laughs uh, great performance by Andy McDowell and and Bill Murray, but it's also about about something. It's about how, what do you do with if you had a, a a million lifetimes? What would you do with it? How would you spend it? Right? How would how how would you spend your day? How should how should you be a a, a, a mensch in the world? And and mensch um, is a Yiddish word mm-hmm. that means. Mensch, It means that means, <laughs> that means a, a good man. that means a, yeah, a yeah. person. Yes. Uh, and and so so to me, it 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 hits on all those cylinders. Right. Uh, and so I look for a, a film. Uh, for me, comedies have to uh, tell something true about being human. Has to tell something true about what humans you know struggle with and and deal with in their lives. Has to. Uh, has to be based on some incredible impossibility or implausibility, mm-hmm. uh, so that it doesn't have to be a fantasy like Groundhog Day. It can be something as simple as uh, that movie with James Gandolfini and Julie Louis-Dreyfus. Enough said. Right, right. Which is just this really cool, you know simple, quiet story mm-hmm. uh, about a, a, a masseuse you know who's kind of struggling. She meets a, a guy, maybe he's going to be her new boyfriend. At the same time, she meets a client who becomes a best friend. And the client is the ex-wife of the new boyfriend <laughs> who hates James Gandolfini and keeps on saying terrible things about him, which starts to affect her relationship. Now, is that impossible? No. Mm-hmm. But it's improbable. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you take you take an improbable or impossible situation – And then you let it develop. That's the only time that you can lie in a a narrative. Um, And then you let it develop honestly and organically. So a movie like Big, Mm -hmm. it has one lie in it. A kid makes a wish on a fortune-telling machine. He wakes up, he's the 30-year-old man. Mm -hmm. Could that ever happen? No. But if it did happen, what would happen then? And every step of that movie develops organically and honestly out of that premise now uh some people might say yeah but how does he get a job uh at a computer uh, at a toy toy company and the answer to that is because that's the theme the theme of big is sure. what's the connection between adulthood and childhood mm-hmm. so of course you want him to meet some guy who works in that field in that area you know, what would be the point of him meeting a guy who who owns a gas station. So he right. ends up working at a gas station. It You could do it, but it has nothing to do with the theme of the movie. So that to me are those three elements that make a great comedy, Car- uh, character, premise, and theme.
0: Now, can you talk a little bit about what are the keys to making a good comedic lead character? Um, because there is, there's, you know, there's normal lead, leading man or leading woman, but a com- a good comedic leading Character. What are some of the keys for that?
1: I think the I think the the main key is the ability to to not only not take yourself seriously but make fun of yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, a great example of that is John Hamm, who oh, arguably weird. you know did a great dramatic job in 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 Mad Men, but he's able to make fun of himself. He's able to uh, let himself be seen. In in a ridiculous or negative light, and and not pretend that he's pre- that he's pretending to be that guy. He owns it, so that it's the ability to take the pie in the face and not pretend it's somebody else. Um,
0: but that's for, if, that's for more of an actor. But I'm talking about like an actual character on a writing standpoint. What makes a good oh. leading character? Comedic leading character in a story
1: yourself yourself or your 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 mom or your dad so in other words Mm -hmm. when you're writing a character Mm -hmm. um rather than trying to make this character the stupidest guy you've ever seen or the or the or the clumsiest guy you've ever seen uh just tell the truth about yourself all all narrative all fiction is actually a autobiography You're 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 writing about the world that you see, your perceptions, your take, and so when you create a character, just make him as human as you are. Uh, People like to say, yeah, but my you know, but my my character is uh, is is not that smart. And my answer to that is, so what makes you a genius? Hmm. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Now, back to the show. I mean, uh, you know, uh, what I'd like to say is, you know, people are not as smart as they'd like to think they are. On the other hand, they're not (laughs) as stupid as they fear they are. They're just human. Right. Uh, uh, You, 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 uh, my my best examples are the classic uh, sitcoms, All in the Family and Everybody Loves Raymond. Yes. The character of Archie Bunker. How did they come up with that character? Oh my God! Now it was it was based on a uh, a British sitcom, uh, Till Death Us Do Part, mm-hmm. in which a bigoted uh, British guy was always always in battle with his liberal son-in-law. But when Norman Lear wrote that, he didn't give two figs for this British guy. He wrote his father. He put his father in the in the character of Archie Bunker. Archie Bunker always used to say "stifle" when he wanted Edith to stop talking.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That wasn't an invention. That's what his father said to her. His father would say to his mother, "stifle." One of the uh, in one of the first episodes, Archie says to Meathead, he says, uh, "You are the laziest white man um, around," uh, and. Uh, and uh, our Meathead says, that's racist. Well, then you're the, you know, and then he makes something else. And it's exactly what his father said to Norman Lear. He wow. just took it from life. And the same thing uh, in terms of uh, Everybody Loves Raymond. In, you know, Ray Romano's uh, Italian, mm-hmm. but Phil Rosenthal, who wrote the pilot and was the executive producer, is Jewish. That mother, it's his mother. hmm that father is his father. Mm-hmm. Yes, they they um he used some of the autobiographical elements from Ray Romano's comedy, but he doesn't live in, in 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 Ray Romano's skin. He doesn't walk in his shoes. He's he lives in his own skin. And so he offered his own family <laughs> as the as the grist for that comedy mill. So, how do you create a great character? Look in the mirror. That's and a great and answer. and And if your if your mirror isn't wide enough, then go home, go home for (laughs) Christmas or Thanksgiving and look in the mirror. But take a selfie with all those people behind. Look, when we get together Mm -hmm. at at family gatherings with our cousins, what are we laughing at? We're laughing at our family. We're laughing at our uncles and aunts and, and how crazy they are. Just just own it. Just share it. The hardest thing in the world is to give up the veneer of respectability and normalcy. Yes. (laughs) I mean, you know, we all want to appear smart and capable and this and that. And we know deep in our heart of hearts how truly messed up and how broken and how crazy we are. But we want to hide that at all times. In comedy, we don't hide anymore. We just we just let it out.
0: And you, you have to be authentic is what you're saying and be vulnerable uh, as yeah. a as a
1: writer, yeah, and as George Burns once said, the secret of success in show business is authenticity, mm-hmm. and the minute you learn how to fake it, you've got it made, <laughs> very true, very true
0: um I uh, know, I heard a quote I actually used in one of my uh, podcasts the other day it's like your best the best friend you have in Hollywood is someone who stabs you in the face, <laughs> and I was like. Wow, that's that was such a great line. <laughs> I had to use it. It was a great, great line. Now, now let me ask you: How does comedy structure differ from dramatic structure? Because uh, we we're beaten in with the you know this you know dramatic structure, but there isn't a lot of talk about how comedic structure is different.
1: Well, uh, when you're talking about structure, you're talking about a three act structure, mm-hmm. or uh, Michael Haig has his six turning points. It's not uh, what's, what's different about, uh, the, uh, the comic hero's journey as it were, Mm -hmm. um, from the hero's journey. And I use that term only because you have a book called the comics, comics hero's journey, Journey. (laughs) Uh, which, uh, my friend Chris Vogler wrote the writer's journey. And I, I called him up and I said, Chris, um, I'm, I'm ripping you off. But it's with love. <laughs> I'm 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 taking your title and I'm I'm making fun of it, but out of love. Yes. Uh, and uh, so so, I think one one of the differences is uh, when creating when creating a structure uh, in a comedy. It, like I say, is that you get to make up crap, make up shit. Once, Mm -hmm. and then you have to play it, play it straight and play it honestly. So if this weird thing really happened, if I'm in this weird situation, what would happen then? Uh, So so rather than thinking about um, a plot, you're thinking about character. You're following the character through the narrative as opposed to and let's throw this at the character, and that at the character. So in one sense, uh, dramatic structure is. Uh, a character, you know, heroes have to be thrown obstacles. Otherwise, they'll just win, right? Mm-hmm. But think about us. Think about people. We we can't even, you know, we can't even get out of the house on time, uh, let alone have an obstacle thrown at us. <laughs> um, <laughs> You're right. You're right. Like, not being able to
0: you get the cup of coffee, it's, it's no, right. There's no. I didn't ask for soy. I asked for whole milk. Ah! and that the whole day's gone.
1: Right. So so rather than thinking in terms of, okay, we've got to throw this obstacle at them, we have to have this villain, what you notice from watching a lot of comedies um, is that you don't need villains, you don't need antagonists uh, Mm -hmm. in comedies. Sometimes there are, simply because of the structure of the story, but you don't need them. Who's the antagonist in Groundhog Day? It's himself. Yeah. He's, he has to. He has to uh, evolve from himself. Who's the antagonist in Forty Year Old Virgin? There is none. No one's trying to stop him from getting laid. Right. He, he, he has to break through his own it, thing. In fact, in fact, everybody is, is, is hell bent trying to help him. <laughs> right. Uh, so, so, so there's there's a number of differences uh, in in uh, a dramatic structure you have uh, a hero who has all the skills they need uh, to, to do whatever they need to do. Bruce Willis in Die Hard. Mm-hmm. No, he walks on glass with, with no shoes and he kills, all, he kills like eight dozen bad guys and, and, he's, and he, he has cracks all the way throughout. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got all the skills in the world and so you have to keep on figuring out how, how can I make it harder on him and harder on him Whereas in in a comic structure, your hero starts off with a minus, a negative. They're broken. They have a hole inside them that they don't know, they're not aware of. So in the beginning of a comic story, your character thinks that they're fine. We in the audience can tell, well, that guy, uh, Phil Connors in Groundhog Day, he's a jerk. Uh, That guy, Andy in 40-Year-Old Virgin, He's a dweeb. He needs to, you know, meet a girl. Mm -hmm. But they think everything's going okay. They don't want to rock the boat. And when something happens to to rock their boat, the first thing they try to do is they go into denial. It's not happening, or they or they desperately want to go back to the normal world that they think is working for them that we that we see is not. Mm -hmm. And then what happens over the course of the structure as they as these broken people who start their stories off with with damaged or absent relationships, they gather families around themselves mm-hmm. and so uh and so everybody uh every character, every hero character in a comedy is is forming a kind of dysfunctional family around themselves to help them through their transformation uh and as and when they get to the end uh they uh, there's usually a, uh, a segment in which there is, and this this is similar in, in dramas, there's an all is lost moment.
0: Right.
1: Uh, but what's, what's why that's so important for comedy is that people sometimes forget that the most important moment in a comedy is the pain, is the loss, <laughs> is how characters deal with that pain and that loss. As opposed to, well, let's just make it funny. Well, here's another funny thing. Well, here's another funny thing. Wouldn't it be funny if we do this? Or wouldn't it be funny if we do that? So, We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor.
0: And now back to the show.
1: So part of the, part of the difference of the structure is that in, in the hero's journey, the hero goes off into the unknown world and brings back an elixir that will heal the world mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. in the comic hero's journey the the comic hero is thrown uh, inadvertently or against their better judgment or against their will into a world they don't want to be in and as a result have to transform and thereby heal themselves to be ad, to be able to be better able to be uh, a person, a mensch mm-hmm. in the world. So they're not really changing the world as much as they're changing themselves. So all comedy is transformational.
0: That makes, uh,
1: that makes amazing sense. <laughs> a character in a comedy uh, doesn't realize that they have to change, but they have to change because the world as they knew it is taken away from them. They're, they're in Oz Mm -hmm. or, or they're, uh, they're a 30 year old man when they're really 12 years old, or they're living the same day over and over again, Mm -hmm. or, um, they just find themselves in in, in a weird situation and what do they have to do? They have to, they have to become different, even though they don't want to become different and over the course. So another difference in structure is that in, in a, in a dramatic structure, your hero has a goal in the beginning of the movie. I'm going to catch the killer or, or I'm going to solve this mystery or uh, I'm going, you know, what does Luke say in the beginning of star Wars? He says, I want to, I want to be a pilot. I want to join the rebellion. So what happens by the end of star Wars, he saves the rebellion. He's a pilot and he joins the rebellion. <laughs> right. But in, in a comedy, your hero has a short sighted goal. Their initial goal is, is, is wrong-headed or short-sighted what is uh what does uh the kid in big one he just wants to be big enough to ride on a on a ride at a carnival to be with the girl of his dreams right what does uh phil connors want he just, he just wants, wants to, to get a job well he just wants no in the beginning yeah. he just wants to get a better job at a bigger uh, uh news station where he can be a weatherman at, in a bigger station bigger, a bigger yeah. network Um, uh, in, in 40 year old virgin, what does Andy want? All he wants is to be left alone because his days are filled. He's, you know, he's, uh, playing halo. He's practicing the tuba. He's painting his little figurines. (laughs) He's happy. He thinks he's happy. Right. So, so what happens in a comedy is that your characters have a discovered goal. A goal that wasn't apparent to them or us in the audience at the beginning of the movie that later becomes something they discover as they're transforming. And, and so midway or half you know three quarters of the way through or 40 percent of the way through, they discover that they want something else. They want something new. And then they put all their uh, attention and focus to try to get that discovered goal. That's
0: yes. That's a great, great, great answer, sir, to a to a question. Um yes, but the heroes the, there, the comics there. heroes journey. It's it's quite it's it's all there. It's all there. It's all in here. It's all in here. Um Available now, on Amazon and uh, Kindle. <laughs> Do you have the audiobook yet?
1: No, no. I'm I'm uh e- even though I have a face that's ra- that's great for radio. <laughs> uh, uh I I'm not uh, audio books are People have asked me about audiobooks but what they don't realize is that you have to pay uh, unless you're sure. uh, James Comey and somebody's asked you to make one um, uh, you have to pay to make an audiobook and then your publisher has to flog it it's it's not it's it's, it's actually it's a thing n- not as not as easy as p- people like to think it is also. <laughs> having to stay in in a studio and read this entire freaking thing. Oh man. I'm going Bye. through. Uh, yeah, I know. I know. You, Are you know, doing the audio version of I, your book? I am doing
0: the audio version of my book, but I'm a podcaster and I've been podcasting oh, a, for a long time and I have the yeah, gear. Yeah, there you go. So yeah. I'm doing it, but it is, it's not like this voice. I, when I'm reading the book, it's not like, Hey guys, how you doing? It's not that it's and today so I have my, my, audiobook voice which you're, is
1: you're you're like the npr girls on the snl sketch <laughs> right. today so we have sweaty balls. Sh- balls today
0: <laughs> so it's, it's similar to that but not completely right. uh but sweaty balls what a great what a great bit um no i wanted to also i wanted to touch upon uh, um a genre of comedy which uh and i just want to hear your thoughts on it fish out of water which is such a great comedic world to be thrown into like the crocodile right. dundees, the Beverly Hills cops, you know, those kind of things. Any tips on what what writers can do to do cuz I th- I haven't seen a good fish out of water comedy in a long time, honestly. What was the last good one you
1: saw? Well, I mean, there's 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 been a dearth of great um uh, great film comedy. Most almost everything that's really good mm-hmm. uh, or a lot of everything that's really good is happening uh in, on TV or streaming.
0: Yeah. Um Yeah. That's very true. Yeah. The the great, the Grayson uh Grace and Frankies of the world.
1: Uh, and... I, I guess, I guess, you know, spy with Melissa McCarthy. She was a fish out of water. That, that would be a, yeah, that was funny as hell too. Uh, I love that You movie. know, f- for me, for me, uh, we are all fish out of water. Mm. We're swimming around. It's everything seems great. And then we're forced as, 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 uh, as uh, Amy Sherman-Palladino uh, wrote, uh, "We're forced out through a, through a hole that's smaller than a lady's purse, <laughs> and we're we're thrust into a world we didn't make, we didn't ask for, and we don't know how the hell we got there. We we can't do anything. We are fish out of water. Our our whole lives are fish out of water. We we like to pretend that we're." In water, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're swimming in our waters, but for the most part, uh, everybody is a tail of a fish out of water. In fact, that's why that's why comedians uh, who are outsiders in their culture mm-hmm. uh, are are so successful. That's why Canadians are so successful <laughs> in America. It, right. <laughs> yeah. Because because they're they're, you know, uh, perspective, they can't. The uh, fight the you know the encroaching american culture but they're they're kind of outsiders to it african americans you know, jews you know all the uh all the ethnic comedians who came up uh in the 20s and 30s and 40s mm-hmm. um they're they're in a way outsiders uh and so and so in that way everybody's story is a fish out of water very very true now there's an. It- and when you when you when you take a, situ, uh, a situation in which you tear somebody away from what his normal world is, you create a fish out of water. Mm-hmm. Bill Murray's a fish out of water. He's living the same day over and over again. The character of Big is a fish out of water. So a fish out of water just doesn't mean um, uh, a a a nerd uh, gets uh, caught in a space capsule and has to be the world's first astronaut. Right. I mean, they've actually made that movie. But that's, <laughs> but that's not the only way to. That's not the only way to tell that story.
0: Got it. Got it. So, so, you're, what you're saying? Because I'm, I'm, I'm calling it more of like when I say fish out of water, it's more like the Beverly Hills Cop, literally the right. Troy cop in Beverly Hills, completely out of out of his place. But you're saying that there's elements of that in almost every story, uh, in one way, shape, or form, almost, especially in comedies. Yeah.
1: Well, in 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 a comedy, once the characters have have. Um, uh experienced what i call the wtf moment Mm -hmm. Uh, they are in fact fish out of water who at first desperately try to swim back to uh to more familiar more familiar waters Mm -hmm. tropic thunder you have a (laughs) bunch of you have a bunch of actors (laughs) pretending to be in vietnam uh, the director uh, is is literally getting punched out by the studio head. Uh, and uh, he gets this idea uh, given to him by, by Nick Nolte uh, to bring everybody uh, out into country to have them experience what it would be like if they were really in country, in, in Vietnam. And two minutes in, he gets blown up. And they're they're stranded, and they have to make their way back to the extraction point to get back to their hotels. Right, they're automatically fish out of water. Right, they're forced to be soldiers when they don't want to be soldiers. They're actors, and and only only one of them, Jay Baruchel, only one of them has actually read the the manual, so he knows how to read a map. <laughs> so so I it, it would be hard for me to think of a, a movie in which your character isn't a fish out of water at some point.
0: That's a very good analogy. Very, very good. Um, now, romantic comedies, which is a whole other subgenre of what we're talking yeah. about. That's a whole other beast. Yeah. Um, in your opinion, what makes good romantic comedies work? Because when it's good, it's really good. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now, back to the show. You know when when Harry met Sally, Sleepless in Seattle, you know um, Annie Hall. Uh, right. Those, I mean, th- when they work, they are just hitting on all pistons. But there's been a lot of bad ones too.
1: <laughs> well, the, the the I I I'm remembering I can't remember the name, but uh, but uh, they they all have Catherine Hegel um, and um, <laughs> oh, um, and, and the guy the guy from Three Hundred. What's uh, they? Yeah, yeah, Jared Ger- 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 Butler. Gerald Butler. They're, they all they all feature Hather and Hagel and Gerald Butler. And um, I remember watching this movie, and about fifteen minutes in, she's up a tree spying on him, and I'm thinking, "Oh, that'll happen." <laughs> <laughs> here, here, here's here, here's the problem with bad romantic comedy movies. They think that romantic comedy is about getting two people who are destined to be together. Mm-hmm. And then because they're destined to be together, you have to come up with ways of keeping them apart. Let's just come up with ways of keeping them apart. But that's not really the problem that people have in relationships. People don't have the problem of keeping you apart. The problem is how do you stay together and not kill yeah. each other? Yes. Absolutely. So the so the the really good Romantic comedies are, uh, you know, uh, I guess I would put Sleepless in Seattle as an exception mm-hmm. because that's, that's really a romantic comedy in which two faded people who are apart the entire figure movie. out a way to figure out a way to get together. Right. Uh, but, but, you know, but they start off on opposite ends of the country. You don't have to create uh, an artificial obstacle to keep them apart. But, but movies like um, when Harry met Sally, pretty Woman. Um, pretty well, yeah, pretty woman. I, I, to me, that's not, uh, really, uh, a great example of the genre. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm thinking more like 500 days of summer.
0: Yes. Um,
1: uh, Annie Hall, okay, of course, Annie Hall, uh, even, even, uh, uh about a boy which is oh. not a not a romantic comedy insofar in as uh, Hugh Grant is going to be uh, romantically involved with that boy, but it is a romantic comedy because it's about him connecting with somebody else besides himself.
0: Or, or Notting Hill, that was another really. Or, not, or, not, or Notting, Notting Hill. Hill, that's a great and one.
1: It's, and it's all about not how do you overcome these artificial obstacles, it's how do you figure out how to stay together with the obstacles that are there to begin with you're two different human beings. You're, you you have different DNA. Mm-hmm. You, your molecules rotate and vibrate at different frequencies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the real problem in, in relationships is once we figure out how to swipe right and swipe left, <laughs> you know, is then when we meet, how do you, how do you stay together? I mean because 50% of all marriages end in divorce. Mm-hmm. So that's so staying together is not easy. You don't have to create mm-hmm. an obstacle. You have to figure out how do we stay together. How do we figure out how to be one in a pair as opposed to the one that we know. So so that's that's what I think a, a good romantic comedy is. A good romantic comedy explores how we. Are in relationships and what we do in relationships and, and why we're so bad at relationships as opposed to, well, these two people are just going to love each other unless we put some kind of wall between them. They're just going to break through that wall and, and rut like animals. No, mm-hmm. no, they you know, pe- people, people have a hard time being in the same room with each other. How do you get past that?
0: I mean, when Harry met Sally is a really great example of that. Yeah, that, that whole exploration was. So, I mean, Nora Ephron was probably one of the geniuses at, in the genre, without question. Um, and even Notting Hill, it's about. It's not. They have obstacles, but the obstacles are just what pack what baggage they bring each each of them bring to the to the relationship. Julia exactly. Roberts is a movie star. He's a right. book. He's a book store owner how are we going to make this work? We love each other, but how are we going to
1: stay together? And it's about how do we stay together? Exactly. As opposed to you know, how do we get them together? Yeah. You know, how do we keep them apart for 90 minutes? Right. Uh, one of the examples that I use in my workshops, um, uh, when people ask me this question, I showed them a couple of scenes from Dan in real life, which was, oh, uh, so, yeah, a, yeah Steve Carell. Yeah. Steve Carell. And, and Dan in real life, uh, uh, this, uh, uh Steve Carell is a, a widower. He's been depressed for two years. He meets this wonderful woman, Juliette Binoche in a bookstore and they chat and they talk. Uh, and he goes back to, cause they're having like a family reunion at this, you know, unbelievable, uh, perfect house with the perfect family and the perfect everything. <laughs> and he goes back, and, and everybody can tell that he's kind of hepped up about something. And they say, what happened? And he says, I might have met a girl. And then uh, his brother, who's Dane Cook. And by the way, when you're in a movie, Dane Cook is out acting you. You're in trouble. <laughs> I, I just want to say that. <laughs> uh, Dane Cook uh, introduces his fiance, And it turns out to be Juliet Binoche from the bookstore. And at that moment, the movie goes wrong. At that moment, Steve Carell lies and says oh hi what's your name okay here's the result of that later on in the movie about 40 minutes later because they're trying to pretend that they don't know each other he ends up fully clothed in a shower pretending to take a shower if your character ends up in a shower fully clothed you've made a wrong turn People don't do that. It doesn't happen in real life. Here's what would have been a better turn for them. She comes in the door and he says, well, we we actually know each other. Well, she's the girl I met in the bookstore and she might be embarrassed for a second. Mm -hmm. And then he would say, no, no, but now I can see Dane Cook while you love her because she's great. Congratulations, my brother.'" And so the movie becomes how long can you fool yourself into thinking that you're happy for your brother as opposed to really wanting her for yourself? And that becomes, to my mind, a much more interesting movie than winding up in a shower, fully clothed, getting wet. Because wouldn't it be funny if I had to if I had to hide? Why is he hiding? Why? So he's talking to his brother's fiance. Why is he hiding in a in a shower? And somebody turns the shower on.
0: And, and it's interesting because they they a lot of times when when I feel like when writers and directors uh, and even actors and performers when they 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 don't have that that hold on story structure uh, or story or like what you're talking about or character or character exactly what they, would be believable for the character? Right. They they then automatically lean on slapstick. They lean, right. they lean on, like, how can we get a gag out of here? Like, wouldn't oh, wouldn't it be they, funny?
1: Wouldn't it be funny if? Wouldn't it be funny if? Um, there's uh, there's a great story about the making of Groundhog Day. Mm-hmm. And in one of the earlier drafts in Groundhog Day, when he wakes up and it's the third day and it's the third time in a row, and he's, is it really happening? Am I going crazy? And in the script, uh, they have him Shaving his head into a mohawk, destroying the room, setting fire to half the room, painting the other room in day cloak colors. He goes to sleep, six o'clock, Sonny and Cher are on the radio. He wakes up the same day. And they looked at that, they looked at those rushes. And Harold Ramis and I I'm I'm gu- I'm guessing Bill Murray or, or the producers looked at the looked at each other and said, Why would he cut his hair into a mohawk? Why would he do that?
0: I mean, visually, visually, it's funny, but it doesn't work.
1: How? Well, how does it help? It doesn't help. Why would this character do that? And so at great expense, they reshot the scene. And all that happens in the scene, if you remember, is he breaks a pencil (laughs) And He puts one down on the floor and he puts one on the nightstand and he wakes up the next morning and the pencil is whole and he knows it's happening. Right. And it's so brilliantly simple, simple, honest and direct, as opposed to wouldn't it be funny if. And from that point on, uh, Steve Tabalowski, who has his own podcast, Mm -hmm. relates that um, that from that moment on, the question always was, what would they really do? What would really happen? In it, fact, at the end of Groundhog Day, uh, there was this whole debate. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Because he, uh, Andy McDowell wins him in, in the Bachelor auction right. and takes him home. And there was this whole debate on how the last sc- scene should go. Did, did they have sex? what happened did you know would he wake up uh, like naked would he wake up and they they it, rather than thinking well wouldn't it be funny if we do this they they put it to a vote the entire cast and crew got to vote on what would happen that night what would happen with these two characters because they were no longer fictional characters they were real they were human beings mm-hmm. and what would these two human beings do and that's why uh spoiler uh at the next day, it turns out that all he did was fall asleep, and she, you know, Andy McDowell says he just fell asleep, and he says it was the end of a really long, long day. day. <laughs> it's just so brilliant. It's brilliant. It's so. Brilliant. Fr- and the song is a. Li-
0: the song is different when yeah, it pops on. Exactly. It was. It was. Yeah. It was great. Oh, was such a. I gotta watch that movie again. Um, it was so great. Um, I do want to also touch upon um, dark comedies. Um, specifically one of my favorite dark comedies, Heathers, uh, which was, uh, arguably a comedy. Um, but it is, it is funny as hell. Um, and, and you can't make that movie today. Like that movie would never in a million years be made today. Um, why
1: can't you? Why can't you? Make I it think today? there's a
0: lot of PC stuff that wouldn't get through. Like, I mean, like when I saw Blazing, just S- just,
1: just, kill, just killing, just uh, uh, killing, high schoolers, the, the school, you know, the
0: school killings with the gun in the school. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that just wouldn't fly yeah. today. Um, well, like when I saw Blazing Saddles for the first time, I was like, well, this, there's never, there's no way in hell that movie could be made today. Like it just, it's just not going to happen. And I saw this years ago, but even then. Uh, and then Borat showed up. I was like, "Well, okay, apparently everything's yeah. out the door." <laughs> um, but, but with Heather specifically, that film, um, which is a it's a it's a it's a genius piece of work, in my opinion. How? What are tips that you could give writers on how to write good dark comedies? Because again, I haven't seen a lot of good dark comedies lately either. I mean, when was the last good dark comedy you saw?
1: Hmm.
0: Um, it's a hmm. rarity in the genre now.
1: Uh, I'm guessing. Uh... I'm thinking about things like Wag the Dog uh yeah that's still 20 years uh, 25 years ago yeah yeah Doc, Doctor Strange love of course um I I think I think the 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 key I mean listen Breaking Bad is a dark comedy <laughs> in so many ways it is it was Mad, so brilliant Mad Men is a dark comedy and TV and um, TV there is more of these examples the, the Sopranos is a dark comedy uh I I <laughs> I I think I think the besides the fact that that, you know, it's one thing to make a a television episode um, for two point three million dollars. And it's another thing to make uh, a movie for forty to two hundred million dollars. But I think the the thing you have to do is you have to know what who you're making fun of and what you're making fun of. Mm. And you have to punch up. Don't punch down.
0: That's why Heather's was so smart. It punched so up above the, the the genre of high school. Right.
1: Comedy. Well, it's, it's also, it's also you're there. You're, you're not making, listen, we're all living in a dark comedy. Aren't we? We're all, we're all (laughs) whistling. no, but not just today's political situation. We're all whistling past the graveyard. That's what all, that's what all black comedy is. Oh, um, I guess this is also twenty years ago, uh, uh, a fish called Wanda is kind of a dark comedy. kind of a dark, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and what it all comes down to is as we're whistling past the graveyard, we're trying to make fun of the things that terrify us. Mm. so to me, the the way to make a dark comedy is to focus on how the people are coping with it. How are they coping with it? because in in, in a metaphorical sense, We're all struggling in a dark comedy. And and the the end of all our dark comedies is not too funny. Mm. You know, none of us, as they say, none of us get out of this alive. So (laughs) or 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 as Clint Eastwood says in The Unforgiven, you know, um, we all get what's coming to us. Yeah. Uh, So 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 the the idea is that you're you're not pretending when you say that there's death and dismemberment out there waiting for you? How are you, how do people deal with that? How do they react to that? What happens to the living people as they grapple with these uh, issues of, of death and destruction and extinction? Uh, So that, so that if you're, if you're making a dark comedy, honestly, you're just finding what's ridiculous and absurd in in what in what we're doing to to deal with the fact that we're living you know we're on this uh, blue cinder spinning through a void we don't know where we came from we don't know where we're going to and yet we're going to wake up tomorrow and have frozen yogurt because frozen yogurt at least make it a little <laughs> bit better
0: you know we are the only creature on the planet that knows that we will not be here eventually.
1: Right, and what do we do based on that? Do we all sit home weeping softly, no. writing haiku? No. no, we wake up and we say Thai, Thai food. Thai, that, I that'll, think thai do it. that'll do it today. I think Thai, will do it. <laughs> Th- thai or uh, Thai or or like uh, dark chocolate.
0: Dark chocolate, of course. Eighty
1: uh, percent. Starbucks. Starbucks. Every day, I'm Starbucks. Gonna, I'm going to spend three twenty five because Starbucks will make my eventual descent into death and, and, and entropy, it'll make it a little bit more worthwhile. <laughs> That's great. That's so amazing. Um,
0: now, I have, another question I have for you is, uh, and I'm curious to hear your answer on this, the difference between comedy and funny. Because there is a oh.
1: difference. There is oh. a major difference. Absolutely. Uh, I I start a lot of my workshops, workshops off with a comedy perception test. I I give them seven different versions of a man slipping on a banana peel. Man slipping on a banana peel, man in top hat slipping, man slipping on a banana peel after kicking a dog, man slipping on a banana peel after uh, losing his job, blind man slipping slipping on a banana peel, blind man's dog slipping on a banana peel, man slipping on a banana peel and dying. And then I ask them, okay, select which one you think is the funniest, the least funniest, the most comic and the least comic. And they'll go. Somebody will go, well, what's the difference? And I'll go. Excellent question. (laughs) I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Select which one you think is the funniest, the least funniest, the most comic and the least comic. I don't answer the question. I just say select which one you think. They could be different. They could be the same. And so then we'll start with, okay, how many of you here Whether it's 20 people or 300 people, how many of you here thought, A, man slipping on a banana peel was the funniest? How many people thought, D, man slipping on a banana peel after losing his job was the funniest? And so we'll go through all of that. And then at the end, I'll go and I'll say, so here's the answer to which one of these is the funniest. You're all right. You're all correct, Uh, you know. It's like it's like. uh, Don't you feel affirmed? It's like Mm -hmm. the (laughs) sixties. Goodbye, y'all. We all get a participation trophy because (laughs) funny is subjective. Completely, what you think is funny is different from what you think is funny, and you're both right. Uh, But comedy (laughs) is not subjective. Comedy is the art of telling what's true, and specifically telling what's true about human beings. So that, so that even if I'm, even if I'm creating a moment with a character that you are not laughing at, if I'm telling the truth about a human being without whitewashing them or without, uh, just, uh, ignoring some of their defects, it's comedy, even though you might not laugh, uh, at the end of Dr. Strangelove, when he's when Slim Pickens is riding the bomb down to what we know is our entire extinction. Mm -hmm. Talk about black comedy. (laughs) Some people in the audience laugh. There's a a nervous titter. Mm -hmm. Many people don't. But it's not a dramatic moment. As he's going, yippee i right? It's a comedic moment, even if you're not laughing. So there's a difference between comedy and funny. Funny is what makes you laugh. And it's different for, me- for everybody. But comedy is telling the truth, telling the truthful story of a less than perfect person struggling against insurmountable odds without many of the required skills and tools with which to win, yet never giving up hope. And because of that, what I try to tell writers and directors and performers and executives is don't chase funny. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor.
0: And now, back to the show
1: because because you're chasing a fraction of the audience right. if, if it if it works people will laugh if it doesn't work, people won't laugh then 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 change it after your previews but tell the truth tell the truth in a truthful way in in an unexpected and yet and yet ultimately uh uh Ultimately, authentic. human way, yeah, authentic, authentic way. Yeah. Thanks, uh, and and comedy will occur. Also, make yourself laugh. I mean, y- y- you're a human being, right? So if, if you're so, not laughing, right, chances so are you're not going to laugh. Don't try to outthink the audience. Don't try to think what will they find funny. Well, wouldn't it be funny if I did this? Use your own sense of humor, only guided, uh, only kind of limited by. Telling the story honestly and truthfully through character and theme.
0: I'm going to ask you a deeper question here. When you say, and I think this is a, this is a question that will go through all 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 writing, all storytelling, all art in general, is the ability to be honest, be authentic, be truthful, and what stops an artist from doing so? Because as an artist myself, and the work that I do. Uh, you know, one of the reasons why this podcast is done as well as it has over the years is because I am completely authentic, and I ask authentic questions, and I want truth. Um, right. And that's why people gravitated towards it. Um, what stops the artists from doing so? Is it just pure fear of, of people making fun of them or of you know things like that? But I've always found that when I'm honest about my work. Whether it be my writing, whether it be uh like my new book, which is as honest as I could possibly be uh, a film that I direct, when I'm honest about it, that's when that's when the magic is uh,
1: but it's scarier well, I'm not sure that there's one answer to that, but mm-hmm. I think part of that answer is is not trusting that your story is good enough mm-hmm. that that Fair. your that your uh, point of view is good enough um, worrying that other people won't enjoy it worrying that somebody who really knows finances but doesn't know art is telling you i don't think it's funny <laughs> okay then then i'll look for somebody who does and you won't produce it or you won't you won't be my agent but 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 i think it's it comes out of yeah, fear is part of it, but it comes out of the sense that that there's the sense that I'm not enough. For me, uh, a, a perfect example is the. I'm going to pronounce her name wrong. Uh, it's the a director who directed uh, Enough Said, um, uh, Friends with Money, uh, Please Give. Nicole Holofcener. Okay, I'm, I don't know. I her think name. I'm. I think I'm mispronouncing her name. Mm-hmm. She. She uh uh she makes she makes these beautifully crafted beautiful movies comic movies and there's very little slapstick there's there's no there's there's no uh big uh gags there's no you know there's not a lot of uh sex scenes um uh t- you know 13 year olds are not drawn to her movies and yet her movies are wonderful mm-hmm. uh but it's it has a a kind of a limited viewership so far. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think people are worried that if they don't put in the big dick joke mm-hmm. that that they won't make money or they are, or they won't sell or 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 the studio will be disappointed. So there's there's fear and sometimes it's a justified fear because. I mean, how many five-star restaurants are there out there, and how many McDonald's are there out there? So, if you're if you're studying to be a chef, should you go to a McDonald's and see what's made them so successful? Different, different model, different to everything. Yeah, I mean, um, you 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 have mm-hmm. to strive towards your own sense of excellence, and know that that doesn't translate into uh into an economic model necessarily wow
0: you've just honestly you've kind of blown my mind a little bit because it just there was that light bulb that just went off in my head when you said if you're you're, if you're trying to be a chef if you're training to be a chef why would you go to mcdonald's to see how because they're very successful yeah but it's a different kind of success as opposed to why wouldn't you go to a gordon ramsay restaurant and and see how he's doing it and why you know, or a fine dining restaurant that has the four stars. Right.
1: Let, let's not say Gordon Ramsay because I don't think that Fair food that's yelled at is as good. <laughs> Fair enough. It's, it's one
0: of the few chefs I know. Um, right. the, uh, Wolfgang, Clark.
1: I hate you, you omelet. Yes, you know? exactly.
0: But um, but I think one of the issues with with Hollywood is in general is too. It's so many people go to watch studio movies that are right. are, are, are are financial vehicles. They're made right. for money. They're not made particularly for story every once in a while someone sticks sneaks, sneaks in a story. <laughs> every once in a while you get one of these you know that has money behind it has big stars and has a story but they're becoming rare and rare um, much rare.
1: But you know what the studio system does so well is taking stories that already work mm-hmm. and visualizing them correct that's why the that's why the Marvel movies oh. do so well yeah because those stories were great when they were 10 cent comics and these great craftsmen and technicians and great actors Mm -hmm. visualize them for us, but the story's already there. Mm -hmm. The characters are already there and and to give them credit, they don't screw the characters up. The Marvel characters were screwed up human beings to start off with when they were 10 and 12 cent comics and they're still screwed up human beings. All the movies did was honor that, as opposed to the DC, <laughs> the DC movies, in which they can't figure out the the stories came out of we're we do right, we're the Justice League, we do right because that's the right thing to do, guys. It's not enough, really, really. <laughs> and so they 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 kind of veer veer between let's go as dark as possible and let's or let's have lots of wisecracks. They still have. I haven't seen Aquaman. I understand Aquaman is is a little bit better than. Well, than, Wonder than Woman her. was
0: wonderful. I thought Wonder Woman was wonderful. Wonder Woman was good um, from
1: the DC world. That is, is from, the DC, good. from the from the DC world. I mean, it was uh, it was female empowerment, and it was uh, in a in a period uh, that wasn't the modern day. So I think they 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 kind of solved it mm-hmm. uh, in, in a good way. Um, but you know, I, I think what what. What movies do so well is take existing stories mm-hmm. and and help us see them for who they are, like Lord of the Rings. Whereas if you want to see a really good movie, take a look at an independent. See what's coming out of Sundance. Mm-hmm. See, see what somebody has made that wasn't made through the studio system but made because this is the story I want to tell. Like eighth grade.
0: Yeah. I, hear, I haven't seen it yet, but I hear it's amazing.
1: Oh, it's, it's so good. And and it, it obviously, or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm totally wrong about this, but it, but to me, it obviously wasn't made uh, after a story conference at Sony.
0: <laughs> no, I'm, I'm almost positive it wasn't. Um, now, since one of your books is called "The Hidden Tools of Comedy," can you give us a few hidden tools?
1: Well, uh, I, I've already given you a couple. Okay, um, we start off with uh, with the paradigm, what I call the comedy equation. Mm-hmm. Comedy is about an ordinary guy or gal. Jackie Gleason used to call him a moke, mm-hmm. uh, Struggling against insurmountable odds without many of the required skills and tools with which to win, yet never giving up hope. Now, from that paradigm, we draw usable practical tools, the tool of winning. Comedy gives your characters the permission to win. Um, not that they're trying to be funny, but they're trying to win. Um, I do, I do an exercise in, in my, in my workshop. I ask three people who I make sure are not performers. And I tell them that their lawyers and the most important court case in the, in their careers began in a courthouse four blocks away, five minutes ago. I tell them, I say to them, what, what would, uh, what, what should you do to solve the problem? And they or people in the audience say they should run there. And I'll ask them, what would actors do? And they say actors would talk about it. They'd create dialogue. (laughs) So then I tell them, okay, for muscle memory, just run out the door. You're three lawyers. You're five minutes late, four blocks away, run out the door. So they run out the door. Then I bring them each in individually and I say, okay, here's the crazy thing for some crazy reason. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor.
0: Now, back to the show.
1: You have to be the second person at the door. Don't tell the others. I'll bring each of the three in. I'll tell them, you have to be second. I'll bring (laughs) them all in. Now, these are not performers. I bring them all in, and I say, most important case of the three lawyers, most important case happened starting five minutes ago, started five minutes ago in a courthouse four blocks away, go. And what will happen is they'll rush to the door. And then begin this odd little dance of of trying to trying to get through the door. And occasionally somebody will figure it out. But most often I'll have to side coach and say, I give you the permission to do what you need to do in order to win. Mm -hmm. And what I usually do is I usually pick two big guys and a tiny girl. Right. right. And at, at some point, one of the big guys gets the idea. Oh, I don't have to be a gentleman. Picks up the girl, throws her outside, leaves. So he can be second. (laughs) It's an experiment. It doesn't work the same way all the time. It doesn't work all the time. But invariably, the audience laughs. And I'll bring the people back out and I'll say, Who directed that? And they'll say, No one. And I'll say to the audience, I'm sorry, directors, I'm sorry. We don't need directors. And I'll say, Who wrote that scene? And they'll say, No one. Or they'll say, You did, Mr. Kaplan, because Mm -hmm. no, I said, I didn't write it. I just set up this uh, situation. Mm-hmm. what happened at the door that was that was you and so i'll say you don't need you don't need directors you don't even need writers you just need characters who are given the permission to do what they need to do in order to win because when they were doing that weird dance at the door they weren't trying to be funny they were simply trying to solve a problem an unsolvable problem as it turns out but simply trying to solve a problem so rather than trying to be funny Characters are given the permission to do what they need to do in order to win, which is why when Woody Allen is arguing with some guy at, 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 a, at a movie, on a line at a movie, he's able to drag Marshall McLuhan out from behind a poster in Annie Hall to win his argument. It's
0: brilliant. That was such a brilliant move. I love that.
1: because oh. you know, Although now that I find out that Woody Allen is really a creepy pervert, yes,
0: yes, yes. you
1: know, that's unfortunately – not all the best people are are, are great artists, and yeah. he happens to be one of the not great people. But right, um, but so so winning the idea that comedy gives you the permission to win is one of the tools. Non-hero, not the, not a, a comic hero, not a fool, not a ridiculous person, but simply somebody who lacks some, um, if not all, the essential skills and tools with which to win. Um, straight line, wavy line. Most people think of comedians, uh, comics, as funny people, and then they're the straight man, mm-hmm. the straight man, who have kind of just set the funny people up to do something funny. Right. And, uh, and what, what the tool of straight line, wavy line does is it recognizes the fact that that's a false dynamic. Uh, John Police once said that when they started Monty Python, they thought that comedy was watching somebody do something silly. They later came to realize that comedy is watching somebody watch somebody do something silly. Watching somebody watch somebody do something silly. So that in, 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 a, uh, in a comic dynamic, you have somebody who's blind to a problem or creating the problem, like Kramer, and somebody who's struggling with the problem, but because they're a non-hero, they can't solve the problem, like Jerry. So if you look at comedy if you look at sitcoms you're always seeing a straight line somebody who's kind of blind to who they are or what they're doing like joey Mm -hmm. in friends and somebody who kind of notices it but doesn't quite know exactly how to deal with it or what to say to it like chandler Mm -hmm. Uh, and so you have this dynamic um and and the dynamic can switch because it's not about character it's about focus who is the story about at that moment who's in focus? And so, so those are some of the tools in the hidden tools of comedy, along with archetypes, comic premise, metaphorical relationships, a also, lot of stuff. Also, so, it's so, 280 pages of genius. Obviously, obviously, sir. Uh, now, you have mentioned
0: it a few times, but let's talk about your two books that you have out. Okay. Um, the Hidden Tools mean, of Comedy. You mean. This book? Yes. And this book? Yes. Those two books. Yes.
1: Funny you <laughs> should mention that.
0: <laughs> tell us about well, your 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 older book is uh um the for the book that first came out was The Hidden Tools of Comedy, which but, is, uh done very very well. Uh so tell us yeah, a little bit about that.
1: Well, like I said, it's uh it basically talks about the things that are not taught at AFI or USC or or NYU. Um, because people still think comedy is, well, let's do something funny. Let's, let's do some gags. And it it talks about the things that actually create, increase or decrease the comedic elements in a, in a scene um, and what you can do. Because it's not about, well, you're just born funny. It's about if you give a character skills, if you have them be a hero, you're creating a dramatic moment. And a skill could be something as simple as, awareness kind of so when a character is aware of his situation that could depress him mm-hmm. that's a dramatic moment but if a character isn't aware is kind of blithely just going along not realizing how screwed up they are and how hopeless their situation is that's a comedic moment so you can actually increase or decrease the comedic elements in a scene or the dramatic elements in a scene simply by giving or taking away skills for your character
0: Got it. And then now your new book, The Comedic Hero's Journey, we've kind of touched upon a lot of the elements of that. that,
1: And that basically uh, it it kind of is a riff on the on the hero's journey Mm -hmm. uh, and talks about. So what happens in the comic hero's journey? What what differences are there? What tweaks you have to make and how is that journey different, either either in a great way or, or in a subtle way, different from the dramatic hero's journey? And it's, it's uh, as I say, it's serious story structure for fabulously funny films.
0: <laughs> now, I also heard you had a few workshops coming up.
1: Yeah. Um, what, uh, one of the things I do is I go around um, uh, and uh, do these, for the most part, they're two-day workshops. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can find out all about them on my website, KaplanComedy.com. That's Kaplan with a K, Comedy huh. with a C. Because if I spelled comedy with a K, that would make me a hack.
0: So right, I, it's,
1: it's gotta be. <laughs> Kaplan Comedy All One word, dot com. Uh so uh we're doing one in Belgium, in Brussels that must be on February 16th and 17th. Um I don't speak Belgium, but they speak comedy, so I think we'll be okay. Uh, and then I'm in Los Angeles in March, March 2nd and 3rd, and I'm in London on April 27th and 28th. And I think I might be going to New York or San Francisco later in the year, but those still have to be worked out.
0: That's um, that's amazing. And because uh, w- you mentioned Belgium um, or Brussels, what? Um, how does comedy? Because tr- comedy doesn't travel well. What's funny in one it, country is not funny in another.
1: It does, but if you, but funny doesn't, but comedy does. Right. Um, it. You know what's uh, the language may di- may may be different. I've I've taught. These workshops in Singapore, mm-hmm. in Melbourne, in Paris, in Kiev, the language may be different. Culture, customs, government sure. may be different, but people are the same. We all, we're all born. We all go to school. Uh, we all have secrets from our parents. Our parents have secrets from us. Mm-hmm. We all want to fall in love or, or, or get as much love, uh, however we define it. Mm-hmm. Any way we can, we have relationships or are married. We have kids, uh, we have parents, we have uncles. I mean, human beings are the same all over the world. Even though we might use different words for different objects, sure. even though um, uh, some customs might be different, uh, but but people are the people stay the same. And what I've noticed going around the world is that I can show a clip from an American movie. Or or a American television show and people laugh because they understand what's happening to those people in that situation. And, and, and so so there's people all over the world can laugh at Groundhog Day, even if they don't speak English as the first language. Fair enough.
0: Now I'm going to ask you a few questions. Uh, last questions I ask all my guests. Okay. What advice? I'm a Libra. Um, <laughs> my, favorite, I was, my favorite.
1: color is colors blue. I was, like long
0: walks on the beach. I was born a small child. Uh, <laughs> I was I was born at a
1: very early age. <laughs> that's great. That was actually that's yeah. a great line. That's a great line. <laughs> that, now, that's for, that's from my that's from my palm reading uh, bit. Uh, I see you were born at a very early age. age. <laughs> I'm good.
0: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. I have to tell you, I will steal that for parties. Okay, uh, please. <laughs> now, what advice would you give a, a screenwriter or, or a comedic writer wanting to break into the business today?
1: Okay. I would recommend three things. Buy your books. First, Buy your books, obviously. Uh, that's actually not my recommendation, but thank you for, <laughs> thank you for putting that out there. Uh, I would recommend three things. One, take an improv class, mm-hmm. even if you don't want to perform, even if you're not looking to be on SNL or part of uh, UCB. Comedy is an actor-centric art form. It's about the character. So the some of the best training you can get is to be is to be in a class where you pretend or you practice being a character, seeing through a character's eyes, hearing through a character's ears. So that's the first thing. The second thing I would say is that as you're writing and we're talking about screenwriters, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, hear your stuff right out loud. You cannot figure out what's go, what's happening just based upon you and your screen or you and your your uh, legal pad. Mm-hmm. You have to get people in a room, half of them reading parts, half of them just listening, tape it because you're going to go into a coma at certain parts when, where it's not working and listen to what is happening when human beings say your words in context. Uh, I also, I also suggest that you have wine and cheese, <laughs> M- much wine and plenty of wine, plenty <laughs> plenty of wine, but you have to, you have to hear it read out loud because comedy doesn't exist in your head or in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. And, and the third thing is, is that, no one ever got a job because you they have a they have a great resume with a great font <laughs> it's it's all about who you know and who you have gone to college with or went to summer camp with so one of the things I tell people to do is um, is all the stories that they've heard about about some guy who Uh, who went to a dentist and the dentist uh, also did the teeth of Jim Carrey and they got a screw. Those things are obnoxious, but something like that does happen. Oh yeah. So that, so that what you need to do is you need to make a list of everybody who you've ever known or might've known or stood in back of a line at Starbucks. And you want to make sure that you, you maintain those connections and you want to maintain, you want to know that you have no idea where your next job is coming from. So your job is to be out there in the universe, say yes to the universe. I don't want to go to this screen and go. You don't know who you're going to meet. I don't want to take this class. Take it. You don't know who you're going to meet because your next job is going to come from somebody who knows you. And that's not networking, just networking for networking's sake, like you know, the when you're at a party and somebody's looking over your shoulder to see who else came in the door because you don't have any idea Who's going to help you mm-hmm. and the best way to figure out who's going to help you is for you to help other people be on a film crew. Yep. Uh, uh, help out, uh, uh, be part of a reading, uh, you know, uh, uh, hold a, hold, hold a microphone, hold a boom and see where it leads you because there are a million ways to break into the business but you can't break into the business sitting at home wondering how am I going to break into the business?
0: (laughs) I was talking to uh, Daniel Knopf, the creator of uh, Carnival. And, um, and he said, he's like, ours is the only business that has larceny in it. How do you break into the business? How do you, and he's like, it's true. Like, you never like, how do I break into the cookie business? Like no one says that (laughs) people always want to break in or, you know, how do I break through the door? It's
1: always larceny involved in not breaking into this business. Well, I'll I'll say, I'll say there's one other thing. Uh, there, there, it's really simple. Uh, but there, and there are only two rules. Rule one, number one, be brilliant. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Rule number two, let people know about it. That's a, that's it, man. That's it. If you've got a story and you've written a script and nobody wants it, turn it into a novel, make it up, make it a podcast, write a blog, get it out there, let people know about it because you don't know what's going to happen. I had a client, um, uh, a guy I I, I worked with uh, on a uh, a trip to Australia through uh, through Screen Australia and Film Victoria, mm-hmm. and he wrote this wonderful script about uh, a guy on the Asperger's spectrum mm-hmm. uh, who was who came up with a way of of getting a relationship for himself, and he wrote the script. I thought the script was funny. Nobody wanted it, mm-hmm. uh, especially Australia is the kind of place where you get government funding. Mm-hmm. Um, and the government doesn't want to fund silly comedies. They want to fund uh serious works about itinerant, inarticulate uh, sheep herders who are on a uh, on a lighthouse in Tasmania who haven't talked to anybody in ten years. Yes. That they'll fund. Yes, yes, yes. Uh so I. so what he did was he said, F this. I think it's a great story. I'm not getting anywhere. I'm not a young I'm not a spring chicken. I'm I I've I've made the Bad decision to be over fifty. So yeah. I'm going to write this as a novel. So he wrote it as a novel. It got published, and it got optioned by the same people who turned down his screenplay. <laughs> and as part of his option, he gets to write the first screenplay. <laughs> so, so, so there's there's more than one way to skin a cat. Sure. Uh, when I was doing a project for HBO. Uh, they had this performance space in in Hollywood I think now it it's gotten taken over by comedy central mm-hmm. and uh we we had this one actress who did did a show and uh she was pretty funny but she for some reason she wasn't getting any jobs so she wrote a one-person show for herself uh, and she did it uh at the at the HBO workspace which no longer is there so don't don't ask me to sure sure, to sure. To give you an in to the HBO because they're no longer there. Uh, and we did it. And people from HBO came to see it. And people laughed. It was, They loved it. Nothing happened. She didn't just say, well, I guess I'll just have to work at Starbucks now for the rest of my life. She rented a theater on, uh, on Melrose mm-hmm. and ran it one night a week for like a year. And she went to... Uh, the kind of groups that she thought would b- come to see it, uh, she sold tickets. One night, uh, uh, a woman named Rita Wilson came. Rita Wilson is Tom Hanks' uh, wife, and because Rita Wilson was intrigued by her title, "My Big, Big Fat, fat Greek, Greek, wedding. Greek Wedding," yeah, and she saw it, and she saw Nia Vardalos do this one-person show, and she brought Tom Hanks the next week, and Plato made it and it was the highest grossing independent romantic comedy ever made yep. because she had something brilliant she wouldn't take no for an answer she didn't just send the script you know to the same person over and over again she said if they don't want this i'm just going to keep showing it till somebody comes along who does want it
0: mm-hmm.
1: so so Gotta hustle. be brilliant be brilliant let people know about it and and while you're not taking no for an answer, mm-hmm. figure out a way to not live on your credit card. <laughs> exactly, please. That'll that shit come back. That'll shit will come back to bite you in the ass.
0: Oh, and then some, my friend, and then some. Um, now, can you tell me what book had the biggest impact on your life or career, besides your own, obviously?
1: Wow. Um, I I I guess. Uh, I guess I would I would have to say uh, Lord of the Rings. Okay, yeah. I read that I read that when I was a kid, uh, and it took me to a different world. It took me to a different world when uh, I was um, I was not a very happy kid, mm-hmm. and it it showed me the power of the ima- of imagination. So I knew I knew even if the my world wasn't working out for me, uh, a world in my imagination could so maybe that's what maybe that's where I should go
0: Um, now what is the lesson that took you the longest to learn whether in the film business or in life hmm
1: you can't force funny (laughs)
0: amen (laughs) amen you Um, cannot force funny now um, what are three of your favorite films of all time
1: uh Godfather,
0: okay. Groundhog
1: Groundhog's Day, and um, I have a three-way tie um, uh, between It's a Wonderful Life, uh, Meet Me in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor.
0: And now, back to the show.
1: And... Um, uh Oh god damn it Gene Kelly dancing in the rain. Okay, singing in the rain. Singing in the rain. Singing, singing in, the rain. in the rain. Um and
0: then uh just for you. Oh, I mean, oh, oh,
1: oh wait, wait, four way tie. Uh-huh. The Sting.
0: Oh, such a great film. I love The Sting. You see that's a movie that holds. That
1: holds still oh, to this day. Really brilliant. It's such Because it starts it starts with loss. Yeah, no, it it's, starts it starts with death. Yep. And absolutely. there's death there's death near the near the end, there's sadness and death
0: um now i uh, and I normally don't ask this question, but I have to ask you three of your favorite screenplays of all time that when you wrote when you, you know comedic stuff that you read and you're like, jesus, this is good
1: uh, I, uh groundhog day uh-huh um, but the finished script not not like uh right unfortunately annie hall
0: yes i look, I know, look, we all apologize for it, it is still you know, a brilliant. He ruined it. He he ruined it, but it's still a brilliant piece of art, regardless of the artist.
1: Um, and uh, every Billy Wilder screenplay ever written. Pretty much,
0: <laughs> absolutely. Anyone listening, if you guys do not know who Billy Wilder is, please do yourself a favor.
1: How could you not know who Billy Wilder I is? No, there's because look, you're there's a lot, film hustle.
0: Look, there's a lot of look, there's a lot of youngins listening or watching this. Please go watch something like, uh, oh something like, some like it hot. The
1: apartment, the apartment, like it
0: hot. Sunset Boulevard. Oh, please, please go go okay. go read it. Okay. Now, where can people find you and your work, sir?
1: They can find me. Um, uh at Kaplancomedy.com. Mm-hmm. Uh they my Twitter uh handle is at SK Comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh you can find me on Facebook, uh Kaplan Comedy, or you can friend me. Uh now I've I have three thousand odd and, and and they are they are odd, mm-hmm. but I have three thousand odd friends. Your Facebook uh cuts you off at five thousand. So you so better hurry another another, <laughs> another two thousand come in. I, I'm stuck. Um, on the other hand, Facebook will steal all your information and sell it to other people. So maybe don't. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, and all and my books are on Amazon. Obvious. Although although you can you can if you're in the United States you can order it directly from me and get an autographed copy. There you go, Stephen. Which, is- in, which in some markets uh, increases value and in others decreases value. <laughs> Fair
0: enough. Steve, it has been an epic, epic interview and, and conversation, it's been my friend. Great. Thank you so much for, for dropping some knowledge bombs on the uh on the tribe today.
1: And has anybody ever told you that you remind me of Lynn Manuel Miranda? No, that's the first
0: one. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. But I've not, I have not I've never once gotten Lynn
1: Miranda. <laughs> If, if, you, if you spoke in Cockney a little bit, I think I was watching Harry <laughs> Poppins Returns.
0: I, listen, I'm a, very, I'm a big fan of Hamilton. So I, I, I,
1: okay. take, that, I
0: take that with a great, uh, great compliment. Thank you, sir. A pleasure talking to you, sir. Thank you. Same here. I want to thank Steve for coming on and dropping some major, major comedy knowledge bombs on the tribe today. And I highly, highly recommend his two books, The Hidden Tools of Comedy and The Comic Hero's Journey. If you want to get links to anything we talked about in this episode, head over to the show notes at IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash seven. So seven. Thank you again so much for listening, guys. As always, keep that hustle going. Keep that dream alive. Stay safe out there, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com.